My mom tells me that I was my most difficult as a preschooler. My siblings could t tell you a few stories about those early years. I was the queen of temper tantrums. I could have been the poster child. I could have been on the cover of Dobson's The Strong-Willed Child, <laughs> or what they call today the spirited child. Um, and, and so my, the solution was my parents would spend, send me to my room. And so I spent a lot of time there, <laughs> a lot of time there. So we all know that a preschooler, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, is not supposed to rule the home, right? But I think as we open God's word anytime, or and especially as we open the Psalms, we need to be reminded that we are not in charge of our lives. We are not king or queen of our lives. There's only one king, and he's sitting on the throne in heaven, right? And we cannot tell him, like a, a preschooler would say, you're not the boss of me, right? But sometimes we wouldn't say it with our words, but the way we go about living our lives, maybe that's what we're communicating to him. Now, Rhonda did a fabulous job last week of giving us an introduction. And what I just want to remind you of every time you're opening the Psalms, remember this theme, the overriding theme. Rhonda described it as Torah and Messiah. I, this is just another way of saying it. The instruction and reign of the Lord. We find it in that introduction, right? We know from Psalm 1 that you studied that blessed are those who meditate on, on the Lord's word. The ones that are firmly planted there and who he is and, and his instructions. And then Psalm 2 says, blessed are those who take refuge in the king. And so we see that the Psalms are to teach us and remind us that we are not the ones in charge. We're to be like Mary, disciples sitting at Jesus' feet, right? Wanting to hear from the Lord. And we're to be submitting our lives to him as Lord and King, right? Placing ourselves under his reign. And as we get to know him, Right? How much he loves us, how good and mighty and faithful and gracious and merciful he is. Then, of course, where else would we want to be? We would, don't want to be. We know that it doesn't work when we're in charge of our lives, right? We want to place ourselves under his kingship. Eugene Peterson, 20 years ago, told Timothy Keller that if he wanted to get to know God, he should be faithfully reading through the Psalms. So Timothy Keller, for the last 20 years, has been reading through the book of Psalms every single month. And this is what he says he's learned through reading the Psalms. The Psalms teach us to commit ourselves to God, to depend on him, to seek solace in him, to find mercy and grace in him, to get wisdom and perspective from him. Ladies, we live in a culture that applauds self-autonomy, self-rule, self-help, self-reliance. The messages that we're getting are totally the opposite of what we're given here through God in the Psalms. I would challenge you, maybe in these next few weeks here, as we finish up our study, could you read through the Psalms? Could you maybe read through three each day 
the only day that'll really be hard is when you get Psalm 119. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll be pretty easy. Okay? See how much you get to know God through reading the Psalms. I also want to touch briefly on what Rhonda mentioned last week, this fabulous, um, I think just unique characterization of the Psalms given by Walter Brueggemann. You have some information there in your notes. Basically, he describes the Psalms of Orientation as a time when we think, oh, life is good. Life seems to make sense. These are the Psalms of Orientation, Creation, Torah, Wisdom, Narrative, Trust. And then he has another category, the Psalms of Disorientation. And these Psalms reflect the brokenness of life. It's when life does not seem that it is as it should be. When we feel we've sunken into a pit and we can't get ourselves out. Or when we see the pain and suffering in this world. The laments fall under this category. Okay, And so do the penitential Psalms. What I want you to remember is that these Psalms of disorientation are bold statements of prayers of faith. When we're at our worst, and we're still praying to God. The psalmists are still praying. And don't forget that there are more laments than any other type of psalm in, throughout the whole book of Psalms. And then last we have the psalms of new orientation. They reflect a surprise, a time of surprise or new possibilities when we experience just pure gifts from God. It's when we realize that God has lifted us out of the pit and we're in a new place from having been there. And he's brought us out. So they're full of gratitude and new awareness about us and about our God. These are songs of thanksgiving, praise, Zion, royal covenant, renewal. Just a, a different way of categorizing the psalms. And then, briefly, whenever you're studying a psalm, these are just some basic tools that you can use. So you don't need a study guide. Just use these tools. You, the Holy Spirit, open, open the word. These are just a few tips. First, identify the mood. Right? Identify the type. Is it a praise, a lament? You can do that. Right? And then examine the structure. As we go through and we learn about these different types of psalms, you'll find that each type has kind of a, a simple basic structure that you can identify. And then attend to the literary features. Now, th this morning I did not include a long um, description about ancient Hebrew poetry. <laughs> okay? you, but you learn about many of these things in your, your high school literature classes. And I found, even in my... English Standard Version Study Bible in the introduction to the Psalms. There's a whole list of literary features. Okay, And maybe next time I'll include those in your notes if you're really wanting to be um, studying up on your poetry. But just the parallelisms, personification, hyperbole, inclusio, imagery, especially the similes and metaphors. Okay, But we do all of this to do what? Why do we study God's Word? We do it. To get to know God. So the question that we always ask whenever we read through a psalm is, how is God revealed here? What is he like? What does he do? 
Okay, basic tips for studying the Psalms. Okay, so we are going to look to the Psalms of Lament. We, I know there have been times where you're reading through the Psalms and you skip over them, don't you? I think you do. I've done it before, too. We move on to our favorites, 23 and 100 and 139, right? We have our favorites. Okay, and I know that we don't pray this way anymore, do we? Like the, the lament psalmist did. We are not this bold or honest, right? We gather and we pray together and our prayers are sweet and flowery, right? It's interesting. Walter Brueggemann laments over the loss of the, men, the laments in, in church worship. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he says that if we only think that we can approach God's throne in times of praise and when things are good, then aren't we kind of tending to neglect looking at all the really hard things in our lives? It's as if we're afraid to look at all these negative things. We kind of want to push them down or bury them. Esther Fleece, in her book, No More Faking Fine, says this, Lamenting is a painful process, but it's even more painful to live a life of pretended strength, of keeping God at arm's length away, because you're shutting down the conversation with, Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Amy Julia Becker, in her blog called Thin Places, says this, She's talking about staying in God's presence, like swimming in the ocean. It's immense, frightening, powerful, beautiful, where deep calls to deep, where answers don't come easily, where pain is exposed rather than covered over, where healing requires transformation. This is what the Psalms of Lament may be calling us to do. So, can we, as God's people, who are living in a world where we know that the new creation has begun in Jesus Christ, but we know it's just been inaugurated and it's still in process, that we know, Jesus told us, there would be troubles in this world, right? Can we... Hold on to the joys and the sorrows, the despair and the hope, the suffering and the healing. Can we hold on to both at the same time? Now, I know the, the laments get a bad rap, but let's make it clear, ladies. They are not complaints. We all know how irritating it is to be around somebody who's complaining all the time. Don't identify the laments just as complaints. They are much, much more. In a lament, you are actually talking to God, even in the midst of the most difficult times in your life. You're still looking to him and trying to trust him. So do you know why I love the, the laments? 
I think that word got cut off in the bottom of your notes page. I'm encouraging you to love the laments. I love the laments, and this is why, for two reasons. Because they're so bold and raw. They're not trying to cover over anything. It's coming to God. He knows everything that's going on in our lives anyway, right? So they encourage us to be real with him. And the other thing that I love about the laments is that they include an affirmation of trust. So whenever you read through a lament, look for that. Don't just <laughs> get stuck on all the, the dirge, the, the, you know, the complaints, the, the, um, the heartache. Look for that affirmation of trust and even the vow of praise. Now, laments, they're, they're easy to identify with because, and easy to discover because they have these simple um, themes. There's a movement from suffering to praise, from sorrow to joy. In the laments, we can lament over our sin. We can lament over injustice and suffering that we see in this world. And we lament not on our own, but we lament with God. We're taking our laments to him. When you read through these laments, you'll see this beautiful picture of faith that the psalmist had. They were confident in their God. They were sure that he, he heard them. And they count on him to intervene. They count on him to do something. They count on him to be who they know he is, right? To show up and be who he's always been. The laments remind us of our need for God. They teach us to be honest, way more honest than we are oftentimes in church. Many of the songs are so generalized and figurative that we can almost read a lament and think, oh, the Lord included this in the scriptures just for me and my situation right now. This is a prayer he gave me to pray to him in the middle of my difficulties. So beautiful. The laments also challenge us to persevere in prayer. To not lose hope. <coughs> Ladies, this morning, do you have a prayer that you've been praying for a really, really long time? Maybe for years? I have a few. And some days I just say, Lord, you know what? I've already given that to you. I don't want to have to pray it again. It hurts too much. These laments encourage me to keep going there and keep opening my heart, pouring out my heart to the Lord and offering it to him and trying to move from that place where I think I might give in to despair and I think, oh, you know, how long to move to that place of trust and hope and praise. 
The laments can also take us out of our place of comfort and open our eyes. Help us see those who are suffering in this world. To cry with them. To cry out on their behalf. To ask God to arise and fight for them. And maybe even ask the Lord how we can join his work in seeking to relieve their suffering. So the laments can expand our hearts to care for people who are suffering in this world. M. Douglas Meek says, We are so privileged, we can go through life anesthetized by overconsumption, by just sitting in front of the TV, right? Anesthetized by our own comfort, and we can become insensitive to those that are suffering. So I think there's a challenge given to us that we are to be, to reflect God's heart, that he suffers with those who suffer. And as his people, we are to do the same and seek to care for them. The laments also remind us over and over again that when we are in the depths, when we are in the most difficult seasons of our lives, that God is there. That he is to be found where we live our lives every single day. Not just in the joys, but in the struggles and the sorrows too. He is a God who is intimately involved in every part of our lives. Okay, so on your notes page you can find just five phases in a lament psalm. An invocation or a plea for help, the lament, or the complaint, an affirmation of trust, a petition, and a vow of praise. They don't always come exactly in this order, but most of the lament psalms will include some facet of these phases. Basically, we need to just remember this movement that takes place in the lament. It begins with crying out to God. And then asking for help. And then responding in trust and praise. So just as each of the five books that are included in the big book of the Psalms end with praise, right? The laments are to end with trust and praise. So I told you that I love the honesty of the, the laments. I love these, the raw questions questions that the psalmists throw at God. They cry out to God. They ask him really, really hard questions. We, we find in Psalm 79, 5, the, the typical question, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? In Psalm 89, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Have you ever been there? Have you been bold enough to say, how long, O Lord, I've been waiting on you? And then in Psalm 10:1, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You see, I, I think that these questions come from this place of knowing that the Lord, Yahweh, is the God who is present in the midst of his people. And so that's why they're asking these 
tough questions. It seems as if you are far away. I know that's not the kind of God you are, so I'm going to keep on asking. <laughs> okay? And then Psalm 74, 1, Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? These bold, raw questions. And then we must always look, as I mentioned, for the affirmation of trust. Right in the midst of the darkness, the psalmists are still clinging to God. And as they pour their hearts out to him and look to him, they're reminded of who he is. And they want to tell him about it. <laughs> and saying, this is who I, I'm counting on you to be. So you found it in your study this week in Psalm 42, verse 5, and it was a repeated refrain, right? You found three times in chapter in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And here it is. Hope in God, for I again shall again praise him. Because this is who my, who my God is. He's my salvation. He's my God. I'm his child. He's with me, and he's, he's going to save me. And then Psalm 3, verses 1 to 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then here it is. Look for it, ladies. But you, O Lord, this is who you are. You are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And in Psalm 130, verses 1 and 7. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. And here it is. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. This is who I know my God to be. This I'm trusting in you, that your steadfast love is given to me, that your redemption is plentiful. And then even in Psalm 22, the psalm that you studied this week, the psalm of David, that Jesus cried out from the cross, that first line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ladies, when he cries out that first line, the whole of the psalm is in mind. There will be a Lord who works, right? And I love the, these verses at the end, 27, 30, and 31. This is the result of Christ's promised sacrifice. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship you. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteous, righteousness. To a people yet unborn. And this is the phrase that I love. That he has done it. God has provided salvation. He has done it. It's an affirmation of trust. <clears throat> so I've given you a few examples of lament psalms that you can read through on your own this morning. Let's briefly read through Psalm 13 together. I picked it because it's short and sweet. <laughs> OK, 
Okay, Psalm 13 reads like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. There it is, ladies, right? The affirmation of trust. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. In verses 1 and 2, we see this invocation, this lament. And oh, it's an honest cry to the Lord. The psalmist is saying, life is not right in this moment. And this repetition of the how long, four times that question is asked. This picture of his despair this picture that he's in a desperate situation and and it's as if the repetition of that how long it's intensifying right and maybe even in his volume when he was praying it or singing it to God letting him know the Lord know how urgent the situation is and we find him saying that there is sorrow in my heart all the day and, and that phrase is used elsewhere, once again, to depict a, an urgent, maybe even a life and death situation. And what's the worst part? Is at the end of verse 2, that last line, that in the midst of trouble, the psalmist enemy is exalted. And this is the place that is reserved for God alone. God alone is the one who's to be exalted. So it's as if in the midst of his desperate situation. He's looking to God for help and he's not there. He's seeing his enemy exulting over him instead. And then in verses 3 and 4, this is the petition. And once again, the laments are showing us that we are to, to ask God for help. To be real about the pain in our lives. And he says, consider Answer, lighten my eyes. This picture of darkness. And he says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Once again, he's thinking, Lord, if you don't help me, I might die. Or maybe it's this picture of of depression, right? Where you just, you're in a place of darkness and you can't see any light. So it's, Lord, please, I'm begging of you, light in my eyes. Light up this dark place. And once again, the enemy, it seems as if the enemy has prevailed over him. And he doesn't want his enemies to rejoice and see that he's shaken in this time, in this difficult time. And then we move in verses 5 and 6. There's this dramatic change. You think, what has happened between verse 4 and verse 5? Something's happened. Did the Lord intervene? Or maybe it's just a change of perspective that the Lord has given to the psalmist who prays to him and looks to him in this difficult time. And once again, we see here 
right? This, these pictures that are given here, this situation is not specific, right? So we can place ourselves right in it when we're in our darkest moments. And I love verse 5 where he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I've given you a few other verses in the Psalms there in your notes that speak of God's chesed, his steadfast love, his love that is faithful and unfailing. It's almost beyond describing. And verse 6 concludes with, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So previously, the enemy had exalted over him. But now, God is over him and pouring out his bounty on him. And he's no longer shaken by this difficult situation. But now he's trusting and he's firmly planted in God's steadfast love. Martin Luther has looked at this psalm and says that he calls the mood of this prayer the state in which hope despairs and despair hopes. All at the same time. So when troubles are great, the psalmist speaks as... It says He says, it seems as if you are absent. But yet in the midst of that, he's still clinging to the Lord and his steadfast love and still clinging to him as his God, as the one who has saved him. And so it's in the depths, in life's desperate and heartbreaking moments, we are taught to, try, to cry out to God, to keep looking to him, and even in the midst of it, to praise him still. And so I have this little visual for you here this morning. The audio for us this morning. Okay, so I'll let it ring a little bit. And then I'll put it down again. The chimes. You know, those chimes are silent when the weather's good. Okay, when the sun is out, when it seems like all is well in the world, right? But I hear them when the winds blow and when the storms come. And every time it reminds me that in the dark times, in the difficult times, when the storms come, there's still a song to be sung. That God wants us to come to Him. He doesn't, his, he doesn't cringe when we come to him with our laments, he wants us to come to him, to depend on him, to trust him. Even when we're at our worst, even when we're totally stuck in our own despair. And I just want to note, I've got here in your notes, Psalm 88. That's the one lament psalm where there's no turn in the mood. The darkness remains. But what's beautiful about it is that the psalmist keeps praying even in the midst when it seems as if God hasn't hurt him. When it seems as if the darkness remains, it's still this great picture of faith. And then I also love Psalm 10 because 
It encourages us to be looking into our world to seeing those, see those who are suffering, those who are poor, those who are oppressed, the orphans. And then I, I always think of the royal family kids, kids that who have started out in such a difficult way in this life, having been abused and neglected. And it speaks of how God's heart is with those that are suffering. It's a great psalm that can open our hearts to see and to be caring for others. And then last but not least, I just want to mention the imprecatory psalms. They are a subcategory of the psalms of lament. And in their petition, they include a curse. And, and we don't pray this way today, but... What we learn from those imprecatory psalms is that God's people knew that their God was a God of justice. And they called on him to work justice. When they saw that wickedness was prevailing, they called on him to intervene. Okay? When they saw people who were suffering, they said, Lord, do something. Fight for those that are hurting. So I just want to encourage you as I close today, I hope you will learn to love the laments. And just be encouraged to be so honest with God and then also look for that affirmation of trust. Thanks, ladies. Have a great day.